Hello, you're listening to the McGovern Report. The McGovern Report is the voice and outreach of the McGovern Center for Leadership and Public Service here on the campus of Dakota Wesleyan University. My name is Joel Allen and I'm the director of the McGovern Center. One of the goals of the McGovern Center is to provide opportunities for our students to grow in terms of their ability to be positive leaders in their communities. We really have a vision of not just training students to discover who they are and to, to uh, find the, their inner person, but to develop the skills and the knowledge and the character to be leaders of integrity, to go back to their communities and be those who serve on the hospital board and, and provide leadership in the school board and that kind of community leader. Not just people that are successful, but people who are community leaders. So we're interested in that which makes up a, a leader who is a person of integrity, a person who cares about what's right and good for others, a person who is willing to serve God and humanity. And so one of the best ways to develop that kind of integrity, to be a leader of, of integrity, is to provide models of that. And I got to know Stephanie Bowman Altamirano just a few weeks ago, and I was very impressed immediately when I got to know her primarily over the telephone, uh, that she was this kind of person. She graduated from here, I think, in 1998. Uh, she has said, I'll let her tell her own story, which we, she will in just a moment. But uh, she eventually became a council person on the Lower Brule Sioux uh, Tribal Council. And uh, they've been doing, and she's only been on that council since October. And they've really been just doing some remarkable work in bringing benefit to that community. And I thought, what a great example. We need examples of students that graduate and go on to become leaders of, uh, of integrity in their community that really bring a blessing with them into their local context. And so, uh, so this is my interview with Stephanie uh, Bowman Altamirano. I think you'll enjoy it very much. I'm with uh, Stephanie Bowman Altamirano, who uh, is, was elected in October, on October 7, to be on the Tribal Council of the Lower Rural Sioux tribe, tribe. And so it's great to have you on the podcast, Stephanie. And uh, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell, your, tell us a little bit about you, and maybe give us a quick overview as to how you got to the leadership position that you presently have, you just recently took on. Sure. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes, I took office on October 7th, and I quite literally started uh, work that afternoon after we were sworn in. So it's been a pretty hectic couple of months, um, but it has been uh, everything that I thought it would be thus far. So, um, but to answer your question about how I got started in leadership, uh, I will tell you that it was a long path. I started out, of course, at, um, I graduated from Dakota Wesleyan with a, a biology major. And um, I always credit my uh, leadership or cutting my teeth in leadership at uh, the Dakota Wesleyan um, Oyate Hawash Day uh, Native American Club and on the student senate there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I was able to uh, advocate for the Native American students there. Uh, way back when. And then uh, I had a fellowship at Harvard Medical School in the summers of 1996 and 1997, I believe. 
And then, and then I went to back to the Louisville Sioux tribe and it worked in a number of administration positions out there, but I was always, you know, healthcare minded. So mm -hmm. uh, I actually applied and was accepted to um, a cytotechnology program at the University of North Dakota Medical School in Health Sciences. Okay. And, and, and then I went on to become a traveling cytotechnologist. I did that for a number of years. And then um, I did start the master's program for um, public health administration. And then I actually went back and received my bachelor's in nursing from SDSU. And okay. I went into nonprofit work. And then in about 2015, I received my diversity inclusion certification through the National Diversity Council in Texas. And um, then I did a lot of uh, work in education, just volunteering and um, advocating for um, minority students, at-risk students. And, um, and so I've been, I always call myself a community advocate. Um, that's in my title before anything else, because that's really what I am and what I, what my passion is and how really I became in leadership. I had run for the chairmanship for the Lord Street Tribe, I believe in, 19, in 2016. Mm -hmm. And um, that was unsuccessful, um, but really it was kind of um, not anything that was planned at the time, but uh, I then again, uh, as you know, ran for council this last time because I was asked by a community member to run. And uh, it was really more of a calling and it was not anything that I had planned. So, uh, but lo and behold, the, the community was ready for change. And I and a number of other colleagues were voted in uh, with this new administration. So that's how I ended up where I am today. Yeah. And uh, I look Stephanie. forward to serving. Yeah, Stephanie, the reason why I really wanted to interview you is because at the McGovern Center, we are we have a focus on help and, and training ethical leaders, students that are want to be civically involved, serve God and others, um, social justice, people that want to really make the world a, a more beloved, blessed community. And, and so when I learned about you, I thought, geez, what a great model. Uh, I need to get to know this lady uh, because I think our students could benefit and others benefit from seeing the way people in a lot of different cases, using the skills that they have and the background that they have and going, how people go to communities and build them up and make them better. And so that's why I really wanted to have you on and, um, and so, uh, so just now that you're, you've been on the, uh, the, the tribal council for these several months, what are some of your main successes or main areas of, of, of uh, effort that you're working on right now? Well, you know, I, we've only been at this two, about two and a half months. And yeah. I think it was because of my, maybe my healthcare background, but you know, the, as you can imagine, jumping into a leadership position like this in the middle of a pandemic was yeah. um, challenging, to say the least. Yeah. And and so, learning not only the you know the political dynamics, but you know just the administrative ins and outs of an organization um, this size was challenging. But my main focus, I guess, my healthcare background, as I mentioned, was just to be able to prioritize quickly. Mm -hmm. quickly get my feet on the ground and then figure out what needs to happen first. And so for me, it was 
I save lives? If this, if this tsunami comes to our shores, how can we best prepare to you know, mitigate um, some of the issues that it brings with it? So um, I, one of the first things that I had noticed was that we had very little um, in the way of emergency management services. And how were we going to um, address such a, a, a huge gap when we didn't have anybody um, who was designated. Well, I shouldn't say that because we had a wonderful gentleman by the name of Larry Jandrew who, who was working um, by himself. And he was the only one who was trying to um, help the tribe address some of these issues. And so, um, you know, through, I always, I always say, say to folks that the Lord puts things in front of me and he put the emergency management in front of me and put wonderful team players, um, team members with me. And we were able to just work phenomenally well together and at an amazing pace. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to contact the emergency uh, management uh, services from across the state, all the way to the Red Cross, to FEMA, to CDC, to uh, a number of organizations who we just said, hey, we need all hands on deck here. This is what we're dealing with. Right. You know, this, this is the resource that we have available to us. And they knew where we started and where we ended and where we were still going. And they have said time and time again that it is absolutely amazing how fast you guys have mobilized from going um, from what you had to where you are. And one of the things that motivated us the most was, you know, as a tribal community, you, you have resources that are available to you. And, and unfortunately, when you're talking about state and federal resources, you can't always count on them. And so I had, we had a discussion at the emergency management team in North Brill and we had said, you know what, we, we can't wait on somebody prioritizing us. We need to make ourselves a priority. And that's really the, the uh, direction we headed. And so we started to obtain all the necessary uh, items that we needed and to start identifying emergency shelters and what our available resources were. And so that thus far has been, I believe our biggest or my big success as yeah. a council moment is, is to be able to address those and be ready to, to and are ready and are gonna continue to be ready um, to try to mitigate some of those issues so that save, some, save as many lives as we can. Yeah, and, have, you started, uh, have you been able to start distributing vaccines out there or is that your, something that you, your group will do or how does that work? Well, it's funny because, you know, you have, um, you have a number of different topics that come on your desk and you have to ask yourself, okay, who's, what department is going to handle this? Mm -hmm. um, and so the emergency management uh, team had to look at everything as, you know, if we go into lockdown, what's going to happen? Right. What, programs and what individuals are going to be in what role how is it going to happen you know if we go into a lockdown how are we going to get food how are we going to do a b c and d and so um we did a food uh food distribution the last two weekends in december right. and we really we really used it as a kind of a a mock deployment of the emergency management team and oh, yeah. we learned we learned a few lessons yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and but it was uh it was very helpful in, in, in with 
you know, with the way that we had planned and how it was actually rolling out. And we hired an emergency management consultant from Pierre who was on our team and he worked with, great with us. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's, it's been a, a learning process and the vaccines are uh, just came out, I think it's been two weeks and we are still navigating some issues there. And um, unfortunately uh, it's not going as fast as we want it to, but I think that, you know, we're seeing that across the nation yeah, that, yeah. that it's not rolling out as fast as people would have anticipated it. Um, but there are certain things that are, specific to us as uh, tribes uh, that we do have a little bit of leeway on. Um, you know, the CDC has guidelines, but the tribes are provided, you know, some areas for input on how to roll out the vaccine. So mm -hmm. we're currently uh, trying to work out the kinks that we have here okay. um, with the Indian Health Service and how that is going to roll out. Because what's happening is, is, is that we have at-risk elders in our community who are living in most of the time overcrowded multi-generational homes because yeah. in Indian country we already find ourselves in a housing crisis so um, you know our individuals our elderly individuals are not in long-term care facilities they're actually out in the community and even more at risk living with yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know um, all ages of, of family members in the household so um, we were trying to uh, move through those phases as quickly as we could and make sure that um, individuals who are most at risk have the opportunity to take the vaccine. So that's great. Mm -hmm. What would you say, Stephanie, are some of your all the areas that you really feel like I uh, really need to work on that, or you know, the, your areas where you go, this is what this is where we really need to grow as a community. Well, there's always I as a as a leader, I've always said that we're we're never. We're, we're never at a point where, you know, we're okay, I'm done growing, you know, this, I don't need to learn anymore. I've always kind of considered myself a lifelong learner. Yeah. And one of the, one of the greatest lessons I've always learned from uh, my mentors is to always ask for help when you need it or to recognize when you don't maybe have the resources and that you need to call upon other individuals. So I think I do that very well. Um, but one of the areas I think for growth for me is to realize that, um, you know, I, I really have a tendency to hammer a square peg into a round hole, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, and just think that, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta happen this way and it's gotta happen yesterday. And, you know, these are the reasons why. And so, um, working really, um, as a team with the council, um, it's, it's really been challenging for me to be able to say, okay, um, you know, maybe, we need to educate ourselves a little bit more on some of these topics mm -hmm. and have a better understanding of the processes and some of the challenges and to as much as I want to keep forging ahead to take the time to say, okay, let's look at what needs to be done, what could have been done and what needs to be done. So yeah. um, that's one of my, my greatest challenges is not working the work that I do Every, every day I ask, I get asked by people, how do you like your job? How's it going? And, and I, my answer is always, it's not anything that I've not, not been doing. And for me, it is, I advocate for individuals 
all the time, whether it's at the schools or in the community. When somebody says, hey, I need your help, I usually will just pick up the phone call and make the call that needs to happen. Um, and so, and that's essentially what I'm doing today. It's being able to, to work as a team, you know, the, the whole political dynamic that has to come into it to, you know, inform one another and give people maybe a different perspective. Um, that's, that's probably the most challenging part because I always tell people, my bosses are the people who elect me. And so those are the people who I have to um, remind myself each and every day that I'm, I'm advocating for them. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a few more questions, Stephanie, but let's close it off for now and then we'll pick it back up after a break. All right. Okay. Thanks, Joel. Yeah. Hey, Stephanie, uh, what does ethical leadership mean to you or what does it look like to you? Ethical leadership. When you think of the phrase, I want to be an ethical leader, what, what are some components that you might encourage people to consider working on in their own lives to be an ethical leader? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, for me, it is walking the walk and leading by example, um, being respectful, mm -hmm. making sure that everybody everybody who has something to say has the ability to be heard. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing, you know, making decisions for the common good, mm -hmm. you know, being that example for folks to to be able to, you know, say, you know, this is this is a person who is fair. This is a person who is going to listen, and um, each and every day I ask myself, you know, was I was I was I fair, you know, and I and I'm not successful mm -hmm. some days or some hours of my day, um, you know, I like I said before, I sometimes can get passionate, you know. I wrote an email today that I had said, um, you know, I, I will not apologize for the passionate commitment that I have to um, speaking for um, the the community in which I was elected by. So um, I think if I, if I move forward in that light, you know, that I'm, I'm gonna be respectful, I'm gonna, you know, lead by example, and I'm gonna make the best decisions for the common good, that's what ethical leadership means to me. And, and I hope that I can be that role model um, for folks. And like I said, I'm, there are days that I that I fail miserably, and there's days that you know I, I try harder. So um, that's what I strive to be. And and for the most part, like I said, it's diversity and inclusion is is the you know the area in which I've I've come to know. And so I try to listen. Just today, actually, um, I asked for a a listening session with the courts and the prosecutors because I wanted to be able to sure to know that they felt supported yeah and that they felt that they had somebody who cared about the work that they were doing at the at the council level and we had a wonderful absolutely amazing conversation and they had told me since 2009 you know mm -hmm. they said no one has ever from the council has ever asked to meet with us like this before no one has ever said i want to hear from you 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 do all the talking um, I'm just going to listen. So, yeah. um, you know, Stephanie, I, 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 people, you can pick up when someone really cares 
it's just so evident and it's so different. I, I'm uh, for Christmas this year, my daughter's got me the book, uh, A Promised Land by Barack Obama, and then a picture book of Barack Obama's presidency. Uh, and it's, I, there's a, a photographer that followed him for the whole eight years uh, named Pete Souza. And when I look at that picture book, I mean, the photographs of Barack Obama talking to people, the intensity of his connection to them, the way he'd get on the floor of the Oval Office and play with babies. He loved mm -hmm. babies. And his staff would bring in their babies all the time. He'd just roll on the floor with these, you know, he was such, there's something about his leadership that had such integrity, such power, you know, um, mm -hmm. there are these pictures of him in a room with, you know, sitting with Angela Merkel and, and Francois Hollande from France and all these different world leaders. And he's just intensely engaged with them. And you can see by the look on their faces as they're looking at him, the respect that they had for him, the incredible respect. And that book, just looking at those pictures, just inspired me to, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, I want to be an authentic person. You know, I want to be a person that that's real, that doesn't, play games that's I don't know it just was very inspiring to me about mm -hmm. a powerful ethical leader really leading from a place of integrity anyway that came to my mind is yeah yeah so yes and I'm like I said for me it is important to take that time I always tell folks my door is always open and uh, anything you know I have in my office <laughs> And you would imagine my office would be, you know, full of wonderful, you know, neatly placed pictures yeah. on the wall. And, um, but the office, the walls of my office are full of um, large easel pad post-its okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that have different projects. And sometimes it has maybe some budget information, mm -hmm. you know, just outlines of conversations we had. Um, the more often than not, when we're having a council meeting or maybe we're in a session with the, the program, uh, come, people are having conversations. And sometimes when you're in meetings and you're not uh, you know, paying attention that you're just having a conversation, nothing actionable comes out of meetings. Mm -hmm. And so I'll usually, because I'm a very visual person, yeah. I usually stand up at the whiteboard and start writing down what people are saying so that they know that I'm listening mm -hmm. and that we both have a understanding of the intent of the conversation and the direction of the conversation. And that by the time the conversation is done, we can look at that whiteboard together and say, does this accurately um, represent um, where we are and what our intentions are and where we're going? And so yeah. uh, nine times out of 10, we're, there's multiple people up there who are taking pictures of that whiteboard. Oh yeah, saying, you know. So, right. so it's um, and, and, and because more often than not, if you don't get actionable items out of a conversation, then you're just having just that a mm -hmm. conversation that you're probably going to have to have again. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I I love the time that I get with people who come in and want to visit with me. Unfortunately, with COVID, that was not doesn't happen as much as it it, it yeah. probably could have. But um, today I, I felt inclined to have that listening session and we'll have more listening sessions with different um, demographics of the community. Mm -hmm. But um, 
again, in two and a half months, um, I, I was trying to count the days because I wanted to do a hundred day report mm-hmm. uh, to the community and and talk about you know what we've done thus far. And I'm pretty proud of my colleagues on the council in that we've really accomplished a lot. It, you know, we've we've had to deal with a lot, but we've also met with a lot of groups, um, a lot of programs, um, gained a lot of information, uh, and educated ourselves on issues in a short two and a half months. And you know, when we talk about our our position as tribal council and you know our sovereignty as a tribe and how we can assert that and defend that in regards to BIA and IHS and um, there were days, you know, where I just had to stand up and, and say to the, my council members that I could not be more proud to serve with you um, yeah. just because of some of the decisions that they have made. And I hope that we can continue to do great things together in the next yeah. two years. So, Well, that, that's a good segue to the last question I'd like to ask you. So what are just some of the dreams that you have when you just think about the future and what you'd like to see happen? What are some of your dreams for your for the Lower Brill Sioux uh, tribe? And for your community otherwise. Yeah, well, you know, for, you know, there's, you know, living in in Lower Brule, you, you have different communities. You have your border town community, and then you have the community in which you live in. And so, um, you know, the dynamics of our community are such that some of our kids, have, our students have to go to school off the reservation. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, I had, my daughter went to Chamberlain School District for a while, and and um, and I was involved with the school system there in so much that I was asked to advocate on um, the behalf of uh, some students and parents and families, and um, I went to every single school board meeting for almost two years, making sure that they knew that they that the Native American community and the special needs community had somebody there who was going to advocate on their behalf and. Yeah. I, I, you know, you can't, you can't do this community advocacy work without looking at your stakeholders and what stakeholders are doing what and what stakeholders could be doing more. And, you know, you, as far as our border town Chamberlain community is concerned, you know, my dream for that community is that you would have more um, community members engage in some of the issues that matter to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, building those relationships within the community. I think I talked to you before about the mural project. Yeah, that sounded so interesting. I want you to describe that. That was fascinating. Yeah. In fact, so I went online and looked up pictures of it. To, so anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I call it the, the mural project because uh, I had through social media seen the the Vermilion uh, mural project um, that was put on, I think, by the Vermilion... I can't remember an organization, a nonprofit community organization in Vermilion had done beautiful, beautiful Native American cultural murals in their community. And uh, a number of people from our community had said, oh yeah, that would be great to do. Um, but unfortunately they wanted to do it and just paint buildings where after I reached out to the to the ladies who did the uh, the Vermilion murals, they had said it was much, much more than that. It was more about community building and, and projects that were meant to um, deal with some of the social justice issues. And so, and that was exactly what we needed, you know, because in Chamberlain, we had um, dignity come to town. Yeah, yeah. And a, lot of the, a lot of the Native American community had said, why Chamberlain? And, 
and for us it was you know maybe something greater something of maybe what could be mm-hmm. and so uh, that's really how I looked at it as I thought she's come here to show us that you know it's never too late to try to you know come together as a community for the betterment of not just Native students but all students and you know to be more respectful and 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 so that's that's how I took it and I so I took the mural project to um, various organizations in the community and, and unfortunately you know, we didn't get much traction let's just say that um, it just didn't didn't take hold as I had wanted it to. Um, yeah, and so be, my, I'm looking at pictures of them right now. Yes, and so That's you know it was gorgeous. the 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 model is such that you know you you use local artists mm-hmm. and you work with you know these these individuals who are um, and I wish we would have I would have remembered their names if we were going to talk about this, um, but um, that they would kind of lead the way and really just be there to help with the framework and you know work with our local artists and then do different community building projects where it's sitting around and doing maybe some art projects together you know with uh, the native community and non-native community and just start at the most basic level level of building relationships Mm -hmm. and so um so it's still not um we're still working i'm working with one other organization who i'm hoping i'm hoping um, will help us get us get it off the ground. So mm-hmm. um, my dream for that, my, my dream for the border town community is that they would just invest a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. That they would pay attention to you know the fact that as stakeholders, everybody needs to get involved. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, for the sake of you know, because the Chamberlain School District, you have a large portion, a very large portion of the Native American student population that is below um, uh, average on their testing scores. So. Right. Uh, and so th- those are some of the things that I wish people would recognize that, you know, for the betterment of all ask- at-risk students that we need to come together with. Um, but as far as Laura Brule is concerned, mm-hmm. um, you know, my dreams for that community are multifaceted too. Um, but really, you know, if I were to kind of wrap it up in a bow, it'd be that we all have the shared vision and of, of making a community better for the generations that come after us. And, you know, I have great hope and, and I'm so inspired by their actions thus far, because um, I think the way that they had voted this last time really sent a resounding message to, to everybody that they were ready for change. They were ready because they wanted it and they asked for it and they got it. And so, um, we're in the process of giving it to them, I suppose. But with that, you know, change is not easy. Everybody wants change until they're asked to do it. And then I've, I've tried to let folks know that it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so, so worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, my, my, my dream or my vision in these next two years is to make sure that as a tribal administration, that we're stronger, that, mm-hmm. you know, we get our, our, um, administration under control you know some of the program issues under control and that's you know we're we're managing better um, for our schools that we can strengthen our schools and to make sure that they're providing the education that our students need and you know just like I said today we had a, a I had a I had a meeting with the courts and the prosecutors and we talked about some of the challenges and some of the barriers and what we've been seeing and, you know, conversation that I walked away from 
very hopeful. I yeah. felt as if those are the conversations that need to take place. And having difficult conversations has always been um, something I've always liked to have because you know people shy away from having those difficult conversations. Yeah. In the area of diversity and inclusion, you have to you have those conversations to grow. Mm -hmm. And 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 for me, it's been it's been important for me to set an environment that people feel feel safe. Yeah, that they can they can they can say the things that they might not ordinarily say to others, mm -hmm. and to be really honest about you know where we are and where we're going, and for people to be accountable. And you know sometimes that you know the reality is you know at the end of the day it comes down to fairness and opportunity, mm -hmm. and we have to be equitable in in the resources that we have, whether it's you know helping one another or if it's you know, making sure that everybody of the tribe gets the same opportunities. Yeah. Hey, Stephanie, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate this. And my prediction is next you're going to run for some state level office, like a <laughs> state representative or a state senator. Oh, gosh. That's, well, that's my we'll prediction, see. just so you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then maybe governor. We'll see. <laughs> 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 well we'll see we'll see you have my like vote. I said, it, it was um you know like i mentioned before i, I my dad had given me a, a a card one time and said go see this lady and i you didn't tell my dad no so i just took it and i went and i said you know okay i'm here my my my, my dad told me to come and here i was interning for uh congressman tim johnson's office oh that's fantastic and, and so i was not I was not um, a political science major at all. And my dad just, um, you know, had had a relationship with that office. And, and, and here I, I was an intern for a semester. And so who would have known then that I would be in politics now? So yeah, you yeah. never know. Yes. That's great. That's great. Well, it's been a pleasure. And, um, and I appreciate your taking the time. We've we tried this several times. And last time I, the recording didn't come out properly, but uh, I think I've got it. I think it's properly recording this time. So yes, we'll cross our fingers. If not, we'll do it again. Hank. We'll have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Joel. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.